give you a text this morning. So if you turn me to the passage in our Bibles of Mark chapter 11, and it's verse 11 we're going to read from. It's in your book, Bibles 847. 847. To be honest, I don't like giving the page numbers because how will we learn where the books in the Bible are? But hey, 847. If it gets you to read the Word of God, that's good, isn't it? Mark chapter 11. I want, as we read this, I want you to see the verse of Scripture, what I believe will encourage you in your faith. See if you can guess which one it is. It starts in verse 11 as Jesus enters Jerusalem. I need to remember that in Luke's account, Jesus had prayed over Jerusalem. He knew that the days were coming, that the stone wouldn't be left upon a stone, and the temple would be destroyed. His heart goes out to the pit people of Jerusalem, the city, and he weeps. We've got to put it in this context of the other books of the Gospels, because there's a lot of questions to ask in this chapter, which hopefully we might get around to a bit later on. So we read in verse 11 of Mark's Gospel, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything as it was already laid, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. But it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, It is not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain will be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, and it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. May God bless his word to our hearts. Did you find that verse, that encouragement? Jesus said, verse 22, and answered, Jesus answered then, have faith in God. Let's pray, should we? Heavenly Father, as we quiet our hearts now, as we've read your word, we pray that you might speak to us. Pray that it might be a lamp unto our feet. Pray, Father, it might be a challenge and a comfort. Pray your word might burn into our hearts. Pray, Father, indeed, it might be quite clear that you're in our midst. Oh, Spirit of God, may we hear your voice this morning. May we be comforted. Help us, we pray. Help me, Father, and bring to mind things that need to be said. Help me, Father, to share this encouragement and this challenge. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've already said I would like to follow up what the pastor spoke last week. In fact, there's one point where I said to myself, oh, no, he's going to speak on what I want to speak on. And, uh, but he went in a different direction. That psalm, that wonderful psalm of 121, where our help comes from the Lord, 
and he neither sleeps nor sunders, and he watches over his people. What a great encouragement, a psalm to take into the new year and into this year and the following years. And what a text this is to take hold of. Have faith in God. Four words. Now, I don't want to treat you like children, all right, but I've got a way that you can remember this and be a challenge to your spouse, to your children, to yourself. And it's simply this. Take your left hand, go to the first finger, and just do this. Have faith in God. And then your thumb goes up. When Martin Luther was really struggling in his faith, when he was oppressed, when they were after to taking his life from him, as he preached, justify, you're justified by faith alone. In the Reformation, and he was sat with his wife one morning, he pressed downhearted. She was encouragement. You know what she said? Is God dead? And he was rebuked. <laughs> and suddenly he was challenged to brighten up his countenance, to have faith in God and to press on with justification by faith alone. And I want you over the next year or years, when you see your wife or husband depressed and discouraged, when you see your friend, when you see someone in church who's downhearted through the difficulties and circumstances of life and they find it tough, when you see those that are crying, literally crying because they're burdened about the circumstances of life and their family. I want you to go up to them and don't say a word, but go. And I hope they remember because this is the great encouragement to any believer to have faith in God. You know, it's to have faith. No, it's not. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in religion. And let me tell you this. If you want to find faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know, want to find that your sins are forgiven. It's not faith in religion or church. It's faith in God and what God has done and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in a moment's time. My dear brother and sister in Christ, we've had a tough few years, haven't we? Who would have thought that we would close the church building? Who would have thought too that the pandemic would go right throughout the world? This horrible virus, COVID, and it's still around. Who would have thought that a war in Europe in my generation never has been in my generation before, and yet it could come to our shores of our own country? Who would have thought that? And who would have thought the cost of living? And who would have thought the circumstances that surround so many people? I've seen some of you cry in church. You're burdened for your family. I've seen some of you that are burdened with burdens what make you weep at night because of your family. I struggle with some. You know what one of my struggles is? Loneliness. Now, what do you mean by that, Ron? Surely you're not lonely. You know what I struggle with? Well, I'm getting filled up now. <laughs> and if anything happened to me, my wife might be lonely. Think of those that are lonely. And they shut that lock, put that snake on, put the bolt in at six o'clock in the evening, and they're by themselves. What's the answer? The answer is have faith in God. Have faith in God. When you came to church this morning, I think some of you had faith. I know Cliff and Vera did. I drove them here. Right? They had faith that I would get them here in one piece. I had faith when I put my foot on the pedal of the brake and it stopped. You've had faith when you've come into church. Life is full of having faith. You've had faith by sitting on that chair. Did you look under it? See if it would take your weight? I bet not. 
You came in and you exercised faith in different departments, in different realms. And the challenge to us today as we enter a new year, do we have faith in God? In God. I want to tackle this in several ways. First of all, just to mention two things before we look at certain aspects of faith, is that we make much of the grace of God, do we not? Rightly so. We're saved by grace. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, twice it says, saved by grace. Never forget, it's through faith. And even though the thread of grace goes right through the Bible, right at the beginning with Adam and Eve, and when they sinned, we saw the grace of God by which he made skins of clothes, of animal skins. He was shown grace. And then we go into Noah's days, it was grace. And as we go through the Old Testament, we see grace. And as we come into the New Testament, we see one who arrives is full of grace and truth, the Lord Jesus. And we're saved by grace. And we must never forget that. It must be, take priority. It, by the grace of God, we're saved. And yet through faith. I think there's the danger we forget that. And yet faith is also a gift of God, is it not? We must remember that. It's a gift of God. So when I'm talking about faith, I don't forget them two things. Very, very important. That grace is the thread that goes right through the word of God. And you're seeking salvation, you're saved by grace. But it's through faith. And faith is a gift of God. What does faith mean? Well, in the Old Testament, it would be trust. It would be trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, upon your understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. In the New Testament, it is the word faith or believe. When Patton, that missionary to the South Sea Islands, was seeking to get across to some people on this island, natives, he was trying to get across a word of faith. In their language, there wasn't a word for faith. Until one day, someone came from the plantation and, and sat in his house and sat on a chair and put his feet on the chair and he said oh it's grace to just lean on these chairs and he found the word it's your full persuasion by leaning on god faith belief trust confidence assurance and as we consider the lord jesus christ in his ministry yes of teaching and training it was also linked a lot of time to faith just turn back a few pages or even on the same page of Mark chapter 10, where we have the story of Bartimaeus. And what do we read at the very end? And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Go into the Gospels and see how faith is linked with Jesus and linked by the way people were healed. It was faith. Time and time again, you see the Lord Jesus healing people and he acknowledges their faith, their trust, their belief. I reckon if I asked around and asked a question, can you know of some stories where that happens? You would throw out lots to me, lots. The centurion, remember him? And I think it's Matthew's gospel. In fact, in several of the gospels, chapter eight or nine, and the centurion comes to him, the Gentile centurion, the Roman centurion, and he knew that he couldn't invite Jesus to his house because a, a Gentile would not let a Jew come in his house because it was unclean. And so he goes up to him and says, my servant is ill, he's suffering. Lord, just say the word. 
Just say the word. And what do we read? We read that the Lord commends him by saying, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. Your faith has made your servant well. The men that carried, remember they carried him? Jesus in the house in Capernaum, I think it is. And they come and they can't get in the crowd. What happens? They decide to put him on a stretcher and they go up to the roof and they're dropping down right at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we read? Christ saw their faith. I could go on and on and on. The ten lepers, great faith. Ten of them went away and showed themselves to the priest. Only one came past back to say thank you. My dear brother and sister in Christ, my dear friend this morning, faith is constantly linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. When that says, have faith in God, remember, it could have easily said, have faith in me. In fact, as you go further on and we think about faith, it says that constantly, doesn't he? In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's now talking about salvation, saving faith. And he says, believe in me. And what about that great verse in John chapter 3 and verse 16? I'm going to quote it from the authorized because it means so much to me in the authorized. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth as faith trusts shall not perish but have everlasting life. I learned that as a seven and eight year old in a little town on the west coast of Cumbria, Whitehaven, Woodbank Hall. We went to see the church a few months ago and I drove past it where they got me to learn that verse off by heart. And as a seven and eight year old, I knew that if I learned that verse off by heart, there was sweets at the front, that Mars bar. And I went up and picked that verse, that Mars bar up. Did I enjoy it because I had learned John 3, 16. And I learned that verse about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I'm 11 and 12 and I'm scared of the dark, I repeat it. And then when I go to a church to chat up the girls, and if one was one of them girls, I forgot about talking to the girls. And a woman gets up and what does she speak on? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. As a 13-year-old, I went home by my bedside and I believed. I had faith. I had trust in Christ. And I asked Jesus to be my savior. Let me ask you, are you saved? Are you a believer? Have you come to that place where you've experienced saving faith? What stops you? It's in God. It's not in religion. Religion is pulling ourselves up by our shoelaces and thinking, I've done enough to be right with God. The Christianity is God coming down, God in, dwelling in the flesh. I'm going to a cross to die for me, to be my savior. Have you got that faith? Are you a believer? And then years later, at the age of 16, because I was believed, I was baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Believe is always before that. It's believer's baptism. In Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the Philippian jailer then experiences baptism. You go on to chapter 18 of, of Acts the Apostles and you read there in Corinth that Luke tells us that Paul went to Corinth and Gaius, Crispus, 
was saved because he believed that ruler of the synagogue and then he was baptized they believed and were baptized are you a believer have faith in god is to you if you're an unbeliever to say experience saving faith and faith is always linked to the lord jesus christ and he rewards faith we not only live by saved by faith but hey time's going fast here we live by faith don't forget that you believers as we have the circumstances of life going against us and all is sometimes not well and we're burdened and we have pains you older Christians and your body's falling apart is it not mine is I get down sometimes I can't get back up Cliff got out of my car this morning and he fell over good job I was there you young people responsibilities are huge you get burdened you need faith learn faith listen to some of the scriptures paul writes to timothy we fight the good fight of faith all right to the church at ephesus in all circumstances take up the shield of faith in writing to the church of galatians i have been crucified with christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. Now, in one sense, Jesus is not talking at this point about them things. We've just gone off at a tangent to talk about what faith is. Have you noticed this passage of Scripture? There's some difficulties. There's a philosopher who has said, this passage of Scripture gives me the reasons why I do not believe in Christ. The Lord Jesus, it would seem, in a, in a quick glance, it would seem he's the Lord Jesus who sees a fig tree. And because he's hungry, he goes up to it and curses it. And the next day with the disciples, the tree is withered. Now we for one moment would not consider this is the Lord Jesus seeking to, to satisfy himself, his hunger, with the figs on a tree and he curses it what's going on here especially when mark says that it wasn't the season for figs what's going on here well i actually from those that say it disproves the perfection the sinlessness of the lord jesus christ he, he gets angry and he and he uses divine power to to curse a fig tree that didn't provide him with figs to eat because he was hungry i don't agree with that one I ought or whatever you say it's ridiculous to think like that it goes contrary what the scriptures speak about the lord jesus christ it goes contrary to, to to what we know about the lord jesus christ who was when he was hungry in the temptation in the wilderness he did not turn the stones into bread did he when he could have called down 10 legions of angels to escape the suffering of the cross he didn't the lord jesus christ is never selfish and yet it does create some problems does it not well the answer is simply this that the fig tree was a picture of the nation of israel and the lord is grieving is hurt he's as i said earlier on in jerusalem he had wept over he he, he wanted to be like a, a mother wren looking after the chicks he, he, he knew that just years away the temple would be destroyed and jerusalem destroyed in the in Adam, the people of Jerusalem would, would be crushed 
He's concerned. And yet he also knows that the nation of Israel should have been a great blessing to the nations round about. But they were barren. They were fruitless. And a huge judgment would come. If we had time, I've prepared too much, so I'm going to have to cut short a lot here. We could go into the Old Testament and see how the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah in chapter 5 of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nathan and, and, and Hosea, they would talk about the nation of Israel being like a fig tree, being like a vineyard, being like an olive branch. If I could put it this way, I remember speaking to someone at, when I was at Ushimura in the pastorate, and we're looking at Romans chapter 11. You know where it talks about cultivated grapes and wild grapes. And her name was, and olives, you know, the olives, the big, the vine tree, the grapes. And a church member came up, a lovely lady. She came up and said, Ron, I don't know whether I'm a cultivated grape or olive or a wild olive, but I want to be a fruitful olive. I'll never forget that. And the Jews, the nation of Israel, should have been fruitful. And the nations round about should have recognized that and wanted to know this true God whom they worshipped. They didn't. They were barren, fruitless. They should have had an impact on the nations round about them as they went through the Old Testament to the Promised Land and lived in the Promised Land. They should have been an example to the nations round about where they desired this living God whom they worshipped and who helped them so much. But they weren't. In fact, the opposite happened. You go to Hosea chapter 9 and verse 10. It is interesting to say, You were a fig, you were a vineyard, but. One of the books of scripture. And he goes on to talk about a place called Baal Peor. And if you go into Numbers 25, you'll read about Baal Peor. As they went through the promised land in the time of Moses, they came and the Moabites took them away from the living God. And they got involved with Baal at Peor. Peor means opening. Baal means master, ruler. And they worshipped the Baal God, the Baal God of fertility. And the Baal God, ooh, was a false god. And what do we read? At Baal Peor, God was angry. He detested their sin. See, I think the temple, cleansing of the temple, and I think this curse of the fig tree proves that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, whereby you can have faith in. Because he got angry like God. He was zealous as for the fins of God. It was a righteous anger. And when he talks about the temple, it's exactly the same picture in a sense. He went to the temple the night before and he looked around. I bet it was quiet. But did you see the tables out? And then the next day he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. He's angry. It's a righteous anger. He overturns the tables. Why? Because instead of a place of prayer, instead of that Gentile's court where there were money changing and selling of the animals, was a scam, was deceit. Hey, do you get angry sometimes at the wickedness that abounds, that sin increases, that you call good evil and, I got that right, an evil good? <laughs> does it hurt you? Or think what it does to the Lord. It proves he is the Son of God. He had the same feelings. It was like in Noah's day when he saw the wickedness in the land and it pained him. It grieved him. I got, we got scammed the other week. Someone took some money out of a bank. 
uh, we got in and we'd been out for the day and, and uh, there was a message on the answer form it said Barclays Bank alert call and I said yeah I know it is and I put it down and about half an hour later I said hmm I wonder if I should check my bank account oh, our bank account and sure enough some money had gone out 99 pound and I noticed there was something else that was just about to go out at 98 pound then something else I'll tell you, I was angry. So I got straight on the bank and they assured me that the £99 would go in straight away. I was being scammed. The people in the temple were being scammed. The poor pilgrim that had travelled miles had been scammed. It was like a den of robbers. They were cheating the pilgrims. The Gentiles that would have went there in the Gentiles court to meet the true God and to be, to be aware in reverence and prayer and seeking the true God of Israel. They were being scammed. They had to change their money. You couldn't give a temple tax unless it was the Jewish shekel. And so you had to exchange your money. Ever been a tourist and exchange your money? You want the best deal, don't you? And so all that was going on. Oh, there was activity. There was bustling. It was the wrong type of activity and bustling. And Jesus is angry because he's the son of God. That's why we can have faith in Jesus. He represents God. He can deal with sin. And he did that by going to a cross at Calvary. Is that what it means to have faith in God? Well, no, not really. There's two things what Marx talks about when he talks about the cleansing of the temple. One is that it's my house. It's a house of prayer. And the other one is that it's for all nations. Oh, there's another one, actually, when he talks about that they, they go through the temple. You have made a den of robbers and... And he's teaching them about sin, that you carry things through the temple. It was a shortcut. It was a convenience. <coughs> they went through the temple, the Gentiles' court. They went through there to get to the city. Is your life in church just a convenience? Or is it real? Because it's centered on prayer whereby you can have faith in God and come to God and ask him things. That's what this is about, really, when you have faith in God. It's about prayer. You go to Luke 17, you have the same type of story where it says you can say in prayer and believe in prayer by saying to a mulberry bush, be rooted up and be cast into the sea. The same type of story. It's shown the possibility of prayer. When I um, was at Uton Aircliffe, we had a lady who um, lived in sheltered accommodation. And at Uton Aircliffe, we had a community hall, what we worshipped in, we met each week. But sometimes we couldn't have it. No, it was booked for something else. And uh, so Tilly, who lived in the sheltered home, said to us one day, she said, uh, well, you, you can have this Sunday, you can have, have, it, have it in our room, the big room in the sheltered accommodation. And uh, I'll make sure it's all ready. And sure enough, she had all the chairs set out and everything, and she asked for the in-books to be dropped round early the, next, the day before. She had the in-books all on. And we arrived at half past nine for an half past ten service. And it was beautifully laid out. It was. It was ideal for us as a congregation, as a church, to meet there. But she met me with tears. I'll never forget what she said. She said, I've been to all this trouble and no one's come. Well, in fact, we had come early. And she thought the service started at half nine, but in fact it didn't start at half ten. So she had got it wrong. But she said something very significant. I went to all this trouble... And no one's come. The Lord Jesus went to all the trouble of dying on a cross 
Open up for you and live and wear when that temple veil was torn in two, whereby we could come boldly to the throne of grace by faith and pray directly to God and meet him. And he went to all that trouble. And you know, some believers never pray. I was in the car one day and I was taking an old lady back to her house. And her husband had just died. And she said, you know, I regret something terribly. I never prayed with my husband. And they'd been believers for years. This is a challenge, yes, for many reasons, to have faith in God. But it's a challenge that we might believe and pray. What's your prayer life like? Is this building the house of prayer? Do we meet regularly for prayer? Are we there? There's a church 30 miles from us, south. They meet every day as a company believers and pray. How do you say this? I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to point the finger or maybe just tell a story simply in Africa a pastor and his congregation used to have prayer routes all over in the jungle and, and, and it, they would go and pray as individuals but he noticed that one prayer route wasn't being used and the grass had grown it wasn't trampled down and he just simply said to that person the grass is growing my dear believer in Christ the grass is growing it is do we make efforts to get to the prayer meeting? Is everything we do covered in prayer? I know some of the reasons. And I'm 150% behind you. You have responsibilities. The transport. Late at night. We need to be praying people. I finish with this. Time's gone. The missionaries of old knew this. They would get on them sailing ships in the 1800s and the 1700s. And they would get on a sailing ship to go to places like China or the South Sea Islands like John Patton. And they would get on these ships and they would take a coffin with them. And they would go to places and you saw that they had living faith. Faith in God to pray and ask. We have not because we ask not, they would say. And so they would ask for things. Like David Brainerd to the North American Indians. He doesn't know the language of this tribe he went to meet. And yet he believes, he has faith, and he prays to God, Lord, help me to reach these Indians. I have faith that you want me to teach them the gospel. And what happens? A drunken man comes up the road, and he can speak their dialect. And that drunken man interprets the message of the gospel, and many are saved. Who would believe that? Or like Hudson Taylor on a sailing ship, and he's been attacked by some villagers, and they managed to get back on the sailing ship. But there's no wind to carry them away from the shore. And they're getting closer and closer. And they're all going to be murdered and killed. And the captain says, Hudson, go down below deck and pray. He said, I'm not going to pray unless you put the sails up. There's no wind. Hudson, go down. I went, I'm not going to pray unless you put the sails up. And so he goes down and he prays after the captain had put the sails up on the ship. And the captain comes down after a few minutes and says, Hudson, stop praying. The wind's carried us away. That's what this is about. Have faith in God. He can do the impossible. I finish with a personal illustration. Yvonne and I were praying a few weeks ago that our son in Thailand, God, be careful what I say because Zoom, that he would be reminded of the Bible stories as a child. And he would be reminded of the stories he shared on Beach Mission for years. And we prayed that would happen. He phones me two days ago and says this. Dad, I was, he teaches English on the internet. 
And in the course of the conversation, he says, Dad, uh, I have a good chat with two Koreans in South Korea. And um, you know, we, we got to talking about all sorts. And they learn English fluid. And he says, um, you know, we, we couldn't talk about football any longer because South Korea got knocked out of the cup. And he said, uh, so I thought I would say to them, because they go to church, why don't we talk about Bible stories in the Bible? <laughs> and so he phones them, he's on Zoom with them, teaching them English through the Bible stories. And of course he had to prepare for it. Didn't prepare much, but it was on his mind. And so he says to the person in Korea, uh, what about the story of the man who got swallowed by a big fish? Daniel said, I had to look it up and be prepared for the answers and everything, you know, Jonah. And said the North Korean lad at the other end said, thought for a minute and said, yeah, I know that story, Pinocchio. The seriousness of it is, though, he was reminding himself of the Bible stories, what we have prayed for. Unbelievable. Have faith in God. Pray to God. Have that saving faith by coming to Christ and take Christ as your saviour and live the life of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I know it's so easy to talk about these things. We can have faith without works. We can have the talk but not the walk. But help us increase our faith. Help us to pray more. Help us to believe in you. And help us certainly to have faith in God. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.